Welcome to Right on Track, a songwriting podcast. Thanks to Tone for tuning in. I'm Demi Michelle Schwartz, and I'm thrilled you're joining me on my songwriting journey. So kick back and relax, don't fall flat, and remember, stay right on track. everyone welcome back to right on track i'm thrilled to be joined by a very special guest today please welcome chase mitchell hey chase what's going on everything's going great here in pittsburgh how are things for you oh man i'm just thrilled to be here and i'm kind of jealous that you're in pittsburgh because i got a lot of family up there and i'm a huge steelers fan so go steelers Go Steelers. <laughs> well, I'm so excited you're joining me today. We're going to chat all about your new music, your journey as an artist so far, and much more. But before we dive into specifics, can you share with the listeners a little about yourself and how you got started in music? Yeah, so uh, let's see here. I got My, my journey is uh, it's a long one. Uh, I'm 32. I will be 33 this December. But uh, I got started in music when I was nine years old. I was nine turning 10. And I got signed to my first record deal and management contract, the whole nine, uh, by Maurice Starr, who was a big, uh, he's a big boy band, 80s boy band, mega manager. He founded New Kids on the Block, Menudo, uh, New Edition. So some of the more iconic early boy bands he had founded. And so when he wanted to cast me to be a part of one of his groups in the early 2000s, it was like a no brainer. Um, and yeah, and so that kind of got us, got me thrusted right into the music industry at a really uh, young age into a boy band called Lucky. There was three of us. It was myself, the youngest at nine, and then Justin Guzman, who was 18, and then Tim Brantley, I think at the time it was like 20 or 21. And uh, shout out to Justin and Tim. They're, they're big brothers of mine, uh, still are to this day. Uh, but yeah, we were together for about four years, give or take. We did a lot of stuff with Radio Disney when they were first trying to promote Disney's new radio channel, essentially, uh, there in the early, early 2000s. They had launched uh, Radio Disney, but it was an AM channel, I believe, at the time. Uh, definitely wasn't a satellite channel or anything like that. None of that had existed. Um, and we were really blessed with a lot of opportunity to open for some humongous uh, 2000s like pop artists, such as like Outkast, uh, Destiny's Child, Lil Romeo, Vitamin C, um, Sammy. There was a lot of different artists we opened up for throughout the the few years we were together as a group. But eventually, as kind of, you know, certain things just happened. And uh, I think we all were kind of going through just a little bit of growing pains and wanted to kind of uh, test the waters creatively elsewhere. And so we kind of all agreed to kind of go our separate ways creatively. And so me being like 13-ish, 14 at the time when the group had fallen apart, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to go back to school and just be like a normal kid. Um, but that was short lived. I was in school for about a year, my eighth grade year. Um, and basically had nothing in common with any of my fellow classmates, uh, being that I had kind of lived on the road for a few years and had seen a lot of stuff. And I knew early on, like what my purpose in life was going to be. Um, so it was kind of like a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because I knew and a curse because I wasn't really, uh, actively doing it at the time. So I made a commitment to my parents if they, were to kind of take the leap of faith and homeschool me so that I could kind of get back into music somehow that I would promise to keep up with my grades, my studies, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so they did, they, they, they granted me my, my blessing to kind of do that. And so we had made a couple connections in Nashville. Um, I'd opened up for Mark Wills, which he was 
to, to me, he's still an, an icon. Uh, he represents such a huge portion of 90s country music. But uh, we had opened up for him, so we had kept his contact. We hit him up, and he was kind enough to kind of give us a few other contacts in Nashville. But we quickly learned that Nashville doesn't really work just off of having contacts, kind of like maybe L.A. or New York does. Uh, Nashville is more of a you got to be here kind of town. You got to put in the work. You got to make the relationships and you've got to be willing to kind of hit the pavement for several years. Uh, and so that's what we kind of started doing. I would make the weekly trip up from Atlanta with my mom and she would drop me off on one end. Are you f familiar at all with kind of Music Row, Nashville? So there's like three. So the listeners, if they're not familiar, there's three streets essentially uh, off of Demumbrian in Nashville that represent pretty much like 100% of the country music industry. Uh, it's where all the publishing houses, the labels, the managers, the agencies, all of the, all of the big wigs in the industry make up basically three city blocks or three streets, if you will, uh, of the music industry. And so I would start on one side around breakfast time with my little briefcase and I would just start walking until, you know, I, I got all three streets down come lunchtime and I would just pass out showcase invites or demos or bios or headshots, whatever it was. Um, and I did that for, oh my gosh, probably almost three years before uh, we really met anyone uh, that could really help or, or knew anyone or had opportunity for me. But nevertheless, you know, over those few years, I would still do monthly showcases and and the people that would show up were typically those that were there for the free food and drinks, which I got no, no, uh, nothing against that looking back at it. Cause, because had I not had those people there, I would have been playing to just like nobody. So, uh, so, you know, there, uh, it, it all served a purpose. And so we ended up being really lucky a few years down the road, sticking to the grindstone and, uh, and kind of pound the pavement. And I ended up getting signed by Buddy Lee Attractions, which at the time they, um, they're, they're no longer, they, uh, they sold and, and kind of went a different direction, but Tony Conway, the president of Buddy Lee is, uh, who signed me and he, you know, he, he found Garth Brooks. He worked with George Strait, Willie Nelson, uh, Blake Shelton, Miranda Lambert. He helped Jason Alding get into, uh, break out, you know, at the beginning of his career. And, um, he's worked with everyone. And so the fact that he chose to work with me was kind of like this, like, whoa, like, Maybe I do have a shot at doing this. Like, you know, he's not, he's no dummy. He, you know, uh, but he did tell me early on, he said, you know, Chase, this isn't going to be one of those things where things just happen quickly. Um, you know, they could, there's always that magic, you know, of the business, but a lot of the times it's just good old hard work and, uh, keeping the faith. And so that's what we did. We kind of made a game plan where I would go out on the road for dozens and dozens, sometimes as much as a hundred shows a year. And I did that with the agency uh, for several years from the time I got signed to them when I was like 15, 16 years old. And I was with them until about 21. Um, and I kind of just took a step back. They were going a certain direction. They were selling Buddy Lee as well. Tony ended up starting his own uh, company called CEG, which I'm with today. That's Tony's my manager uh, still to this day. He's no longer my booking agent, but he uh, manages all my affairs and uh, super blessed and humbled to still be working with him. He manages Alabama and Randy Travis. So he's got some, some heavy hitters. Uh, so when he's helping me, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't, it's not lost on me that, you know, there's, there's something not being done essentially for Alabama or Randy Travis, which is just humbling. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of like the long and short of that side of things, uh, from where I started to where I'm at now. And I guess we, we can kind of here in a minute, talk about some of this new music that we got going on with Danny Rader. 
For sure. Such a great story. I think it's so interesting how you started from such a young age with a group. So you didn't start as a solo act at first. So like, how is that for you being so young and being kind of thrown into a group and having to tour and do basically these big music events as a child essentially how was that for you i felt like looking back at it now that i'm a father i i've got two little girls so like looking back at it it is kind of crazy some of the environments and situations that i was in so young but in the in the moment and and how i dealt with it and my parents just really trusted me a whole lot which i you know hats off to them because honestly in this day and age i don't know if i could even do the same thing uh but yeah, I mean, I, I handled it pretty well, uh, I think, <laughs> but I, I always was told by the other members of the band, um, you know, hey, dude, like, you're kind of like the, I'd never looked at it this way, but they did. And so they were like, you are what some of these young girls are showing up to see. And, and you know, and, and the record company is very much so promoting you as kind of like, the lead dude and we're kind of like your support and i always hated when they would talk about it like that just because to me as that as that young age those were like my older brothers in a sense you know and so like i kind of I, I didn't like the way that uh i had no pride in it in that sense or ego i wasn't old enough to really know how to have that um and so essentially when they were like look dude we're gonna let's do our own thing we love you and we'll continue to write with you and do all these things but you need to go and experience and chase this dream, uh, pun intended, um, you know, as a solo artist, because we think that you're only kind of robbing yourself of, of really what your career could be if, if you just took a leap of faith and, and did your own thing. And so they were always super, super supportive. I know it kind of broke my little kid heart when I, cause I felt like, uh, I was, you know, having to be pulled away from two dudes I loved dearly and, um, yeah, but it was all for the better. And so, um, sometimes you just got to go through those growing pains and, and kind of jump into something, jump into the unknown. For sure. I think it's so incredible that you had such a great support from them and your family because not everybody has that. And there's so many right. stories of young artists and actors, people who have those childhood experiences that don't go well and that kind of can contribute to how they are later in life. But it's so incredible that you had a great experience that set you up for greater success as a solo artist. Absolutely. I, I feel extremely, extremely blessed to have had all the support and all the love along the way. That's not to say it didn't come, though, with ups and downs and, and some dark moments, because when, when you're kind of when you're that young and you've been doing something for so long and the expectations are always set so high, um, it's really hard. That much is hard to deal with just internally, just as a overall uh kid if you will it's it is hard to to know how to manage those expectations um without it kind of weighing you down at times so it did come with some some little struggle uh but i'm just glad we ended up where we did and and there wasn't any like crazy front page nickelodeon breakdown story <laughs> <laughs> well i'm so excited to dive into your current music that you've been working on and your whole album is coming next year you said but your latest single back road just released not too long ago so can you share the inspiration behind this song and why you chose this as a single off the album well so uh <clears throat> that's a great question so basically 
back road more or less is Danny and I, Danny Raider, my, uh, he's kind of like, he's like my, my new big brother. Uh, love that man. He is, he's amazing. He's co-written and co-produced all these songs with me off of Mark coming album and also back road. Uh, we had went in kind of with this mission cause we did a lot of this music kind of on the backside of the pandemic and the world kind of starting to open up a little bit and even some of it right in the middle. Um, and we kind of started noticing a theme where you got all these people in these big cities that were like making mass exits to where they grew up. Right. A lot of times small towns and that would end up forcing them to start rekindling old relationships or broken relationships, or maybe it was lost love or a lost friend or something. Uh, and we thought there was something to that. And then as we started peeling back those layers, uh, we also started realizing that, a lot of people fall in love for the first time or maybe the hundredth time or they've lost love for the first time uh, or the hundredth time. A lot of the times in a very common, simple place. It's not like uh, some Eiffel Tower in Paris or some you know, New York City penthouse. A lot of times, especially for a lot of country music fans, uh, it's just a back road. You know, Maybe it's in a cornfield or a riverbank sipping some homemade wine. Uh, it seems to be more relatable. And we thought we would try to take those two kind of worlds of wanting to rekindle old relationships, but also losing love and finding love all in a real simple place and kind of combining that. And uh, and we thought we we kind of nailed it on the head with Backroads. I love that. And it definitely comes out in the lyrics. I think that the storytelling and the way that you captured the concept you just described, you did it in such a unique way. And I think your song is absolutely incredible. Congratulations on the release. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. We found out last week we were uh, number two on Taste of Country and number six on CMT, which is wild because we're all we're all in. I'm all independent for the most part. So uh Yeah, no big record company pushing us. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's incredible. So yeah, like being an independent artist, you know, like there are definitely challenges with that. So like as that side of things, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned to stay true to yourself as an artist while also trying to push yourself into the industry? I think the there's there's two facets to it. I think you have to set really big goals. If you're going to be independent and you're going to go for it, I think you have to make an agreement with yourself early on uh, that's kind of split in two, which is you got to manage your expectations while setting your goals extremely high. Um, because if, if you're not setting your goals high and you're not trying to strive for a lot, uh, then you really won't get anywhere. But at the same time, if you have your expectations set on like, oh, I'm going to be number one and then you're, you're not, then you're, you get hurt and you get discouraged. So Managing your expectations while also setting your goals high is really, really big. But also the other flip side to that is you got to also be willing to put in the work and not expect others to just do everything for you. Uh, There's kind of this like blessing and a curse that happens when you do get picked up by some big companies or record companies along the way. And that is you, you do have a lot of help, but at the same time, you're expecting a lot of people to do a lot for you. And that's not the case these days. You know, a lot of the times the record companies uh, or the successful independent artists they are realizing that the artist has to basically have the vision, the execution, and the work ethic, or else it just won't happen. Uh, it's too fast-paced this this world these days with you know all, all everything online and streaming, and uh, there's you know everyone, every single person on planet Earth with a Wi-Fi connection uh, and a smart device has the ability essentially to be an artist uh, or even that a recording artist. Uh, so there's so much noise that you got to break through uh, and disrupt. And so 
yeah, I think a lot of artists that think that they're going to make a lot of music, but a lot of people are going to have to do the work for them, sadly are going to um, be let down a little bit. So it's, it's kind of a, a blend of those three things. I love that. I completely agree with everything you said, especially the part about you basically need to take control of your own destiny and you can't sit around and wait for people to do things for you. I like have always put myself, my career, everything first. And I like it's exhausting. And I don't think people realize how exhausting it is to be an independent artist, because even if you have management or publicist or, you know, you're working with a producer, and all these people, they're on your team. But at the center of that is you. You're the one right. holding it all together. You're the glue for your career. And I completely agree that you need to put in the work for yourself and not rely on other people. And I really like your your point earlier about having big goals but like managing your expectations I think that's a really great perspective because something that held me back a while before I really dove into my songwriting was fearing that I'd fail and I think I just had such high expectations for myself when I knew things took time and I had to be patient but I would just think to myself well, if I put the song out and it doesn't do well, if I do this and it, you know, nothing happens and I'm a failure, which isn't true. You just have to keep pushing through that. And so I've tried to like always remember that I love music. I love writing and I love recording. I love putting my music out there. And that's like what matters. And the rest is out of my control. Like exactly. I can I can do as much as possible to put myself out there, but believing in myself and being happy with what I'm doing is the most important. And there are some times where I felt like, if I was putting too much pressure on myself, I started to lose my enjoyment for what I was doing, which was not a good thing. So just oh, going 100%. back to the place of like believing in yourself and just being happy with your music and then the rest will come after. Well, 100%. I, I identify with that a lot. I had to step away essentially uh, around about 21-ish. Um, I took a solid six, seven-ish, almost eight-year break, which seemed like an eternity because of the exact same thing. I you know, had basically started to hate the one thing that I love most in life. And it was because I hadn't quite figured out how to do that, managing my expectations, but setting my goals high kind of thing. I just kept uh, shooting for the stars. And if I didn't grab one, then it was like I failed on that mission. And, and that's not the case whatsoever. So when I came back to music, you know, one of the things that I started doing is I would literally write out, like, what do I want most? And I list that out and then I go, but what would make me happy if, and so I started kind of weighing it out and go, okay, I would love to do, you know, just let's be an example, you know, a hundred shows a year getting paid X and this, that, and the third. Uh, but if I could only just do this, this, that, and I could pay my rent with doing a few shows or, you know, have people show up and maybe they buy a few CDs, like all these kind of managing of that. Uh, and you'll find often it's the lesser that makes you happy. If you're able to do what you love, right, uh, you don't necessarily have to take over the world doing it. Uh, that may be what you want, but if you're able to do what you love, um, then then you kind of have to redefine the success side of things. And that's that's what I did going back into it. And also made it a point to, because uh, I was just a little bit wiser, a little bit older in a sense. I've been doing it basically half of my whole entire life, if not more, Um I realized I can't just get back into music and start putting music out or trying to be successful in music um, if it's just about uh, kind of really, I don't know how to put it, but like selfish motives in a sense mm -hmm. or like self-glory things. It had to be about something bigger this time or else I just knew it wouldn't be able to sustain some of the ups and downs. 
And now that I have two kids and, uh, you know, they're kind of like the loves of my life uh, along with my wife. And I, I realized that the mission had to be bigger. So that's why I started running with this uh, mantra of mine, chase your purpose, because my purpose is music. But at the same time, my purpose is not necessarily derived around the stats of it. It's more so about bringing a message of just do what you love and whether it's painting or whether it's being an accountant. I know people that love crunching numbers like they literally live for it. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's like all the various ways that people can find themselves having purpose in this life. If you are in the midst of that and you're in tune with what that is to your life and you're doing it, then you're a success. You're winning because there's a lot of people every day that go do something they don't want to do. Um, and, and they're slowly dying a little bit every day inside and that, and they might be super successful on paper, but they're just dying inside. That is not success in my eyes. And so the message of that became something I felt like I could promote for the rest of my life, regardless if I sell a bajillion records and tour the world five times over, you know, it was something that I felt really proud of. And I'm still proud to this day, um, to, you know, be able to have, like, for instance, my merch. A lot of people ask me all the time, what is that little uh, astronaut boy holding balloons, you know, made out of planets? Like, why is that your logo? Like, and, and I tell them, you know, a lot of artists in my position try to make their name, like their logo, like their brand. And I did that for so many years and I always felt weird, you know, uh, doing that. You know, it's kind of like, hey, look at me. Um, as if they didn't already know. They're at your show, dude. <laughs> you know, uh, but the 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 message of the Cosmo Boy, which is what we call him, was something that my daughter had drew up. She's an incredible artist. My daughter, Brooklyn, my oldest, she's nine years old. She's an incredible artist, so young. And so uh, I had her kind of mess around with drawing different cartoon characters that we could use as kind of like a mascot. And uh, she came up with this astronaut boy that was holding balloons made out of planets. And... Uh, she, you know, made one eye a cross and one eye an X. And she's like, dad, it's kind of like you, a little good, a little bad. Uh, and you're always kind of a little bit out of this world. You're a little crazy. So you're kind of like an astronaut. And, uh, and so I was like, dude, I love it. Like, you know, and, uh, and the balloons kind of represented kind of just like ascending, like holding on to your dreams, like something magical and ascending. And so I thought it was really deep for a nine-year-old to uh, break down and immediately fell in love with it. And so we ran it. And one of the things we do, we've been doing for the last couple of years now, we've been really, really blessed to be able to uh, take a percentage of the merchandise that we sell, uh, whether it's online or at shows, and we buy instruments and give them back to underfunded schools here in Davidson County and down in Florida in the Panhandle. And we've been able to give away about half a dozen guitars just this year um, via that. And yeah, we're, we're extremely proud of that. And again, it goes back to kind of had I not started off kind of making it just more than me, I don't think uh, it would have worked that way. So I'm glad, you know, I think the old saying, not everything goes how it's supposed or not everything goes how we want it to, but everything works out how it's supposed to. Yeah, for sure. Wow, so much inspiration. The concept of your album is fantastic. And the name just 
It's incredible. Chase your purpose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, shout out to you for having a cool name you can do that with. <laughs> and it fits so well. So like just a little bit, talk about the writing process for this. Just like what is your songwriting process in general when you're writing songs and then choosing the track list as well? How did you do that selection process? Well, so the writing process, um, and, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm a student to this game. I try to learn something every day. And I've been really, really, really blessed to uh, be working with Danny Rader. Um, Danny, he's three-time ACM award winner, musician of the year. He was Keith Urban's uh, utility guitar player for over 15 years. He's currently in Kenny Chesney's touring band. Uh, he's the producer and uh, music director for the most recent CMA awards. Um, he's probably one of the most prestigious dudes that someone could try to work with. And again, it's one of those situations where I'm like, why in the world would this dude want to work with me? Kind of like Tony, but, um, but so yeah, when we, when Danny and I kind of take on the task of writing stuff, he gives me a little bit of freedom. He'll be like, Hey man, go work on some ideas, you know, uh, get them together as best as you can. And a lot of times it's just me and a guitar and like a voice memo. And then I'll start whittling away. I'll get something, you know, 30, 40, 50% of the way kind of conceptualized. And then I'll take a big old list of songs and ideas like that. And he'll comb through and be like, ah, this one's not that good. This one's cool. This one's really good. Okay, let's take these ones. And then we'll focus for a few days in the studio. And Danny will start helping me with melody. He'll start, uh, you know, critiquing different lyrical revisions. He'll start lobbing in suggestions. And then after we kind of really tighten down what we think the song's going to be, uh, we'll start producing uh, a whole track around it. Um, and that's pretty much been the blueprint. And it's kind of one of those things, if, if it ain't broke, um, don't, you know, don't try to fix it because we are able to knock out uh, a lot of songs very quickly that way. I mean, we've probably got crap. I mean, probably close to like 20 some songs within six months that we did. He's been super busy the last six months um, touring with Kenny Chesney and with everything with CMA Awards. But we're going back in this December um, and working on some new music. Uh, we, we feel like we've got the album pretty much done, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things. It's, it's, you, you keep doing it and you keep lobbing in songs because uh, until, until you've got that set release date and you got to turn in masters, it doesn't all, it doesn't hurt to keep, you know, keep being creative and keep adding to it. I love that so much. I really like how you said you had a whole list of ideas and then it was like, okay, let's look through and see which ones are the best. That's such a good process. And I do that a lot. I really write solo a lot, but I do quite a lot of co-writing for other artists. But like when I'm writing my own stuff, it's like, I need to be critical of my own work. Like, yeah, that concept's cool, but this song's better. You know, and I right. think being critical and being able to analyze your own work like that is so important because there are some writers who get so attached to every single idea and can't let things go and can't recognize the good songs. And I've always said you need to get out songs that aren't that great in order to get to the good ones. And so you were able to go through that with Danny and work in the studio and find the songs that fit the project, which was amazing. And I also love how you said that you're working on new music. Like, I'm always writing, I'm always recording, and I think, like, and allowing yourself to continue to stay creative and not cut yourself off and say, okay, these are the songs, until it comes to the point where you really need to decide and turn it in, like, you can always 
you know, write one more song that happens to be like the gem of the project. Like you never know. So continuing to write and create is so, so important. And I can't wait to hear the entire album because Back Road is fantastic. So I can only imagine what the rest of it is like. Thank you. Our next single that we will drop, because um, we will we will be dropping another single uh, this spring. It's called Strawberry Daiquiris. And, uh, yeah, it's a nice little nostalgic cool spring break lover <laughs> song. I'll have to send you a little sneak peek of this for you to yes. listen to. Oh, I love the title. Strawberry Daiquiris. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it's a vibe. It really is. <laughs> I'm, we're really, really proud of it. So from the whole process of creating this project and getting to work with Danny and seeing your art come to life in such an amazing way, what do you think your biggest takeaway has been? Man, t- the biggest takeaway for me is sometimes you have this vision for yourself and you hold on so tightly to it that um, that you get in your own way. Sometimes you literally just have to be willing to just enjoy the journey and not necessarily the destination. And as cliche as that is, it's super true because I could have never told myself a few years ago, let alone 20 years ago, that I would be working today with who I'm working with um, and, and just how proud I am of that because I couldn't have designed that. Only God could have. I mean, how I met Danny essentially was I was opening for Jason Aldean back in, I want to say it was like 2007. It's a while ago. Um, one of the biggest shows I had done at the time, it was when Jason was celebrating his first or second number one. I think it was his number one with Hicktown or number one with Y. Um, and it was a hometown show in Macon. And Danny was uh, at the time in Jason Aldean's band. And I had basically, as the 16-year-old, 15, 16-year-old kid that was just, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, opening up for Jason, um, managed to make a little bit of a connection with Danny back then and then just didn't know that 15 years later we would wind up in a studio session again here in town. And it was during COVID, had first struck, so everyone was all masked up. And all we could kind of see is each other's like eyes, like everyone's kind of just <laughs> eyeballs. But we both kind of were like, wait a second. And then he heard my name because it was a session for me. I was working with uh, an incredibly talented songwriter and producer, Joe West. Uh, he wrote um, Without You uh, for Keith Urban, a uh, huge number one for him. So shout out to Joe for getting Danny and I back in a room. But basically it was all those years later in kind of just like the plan that God clearly had for me, not myself. So I think, you know, you just have to be willing to be a student of the game and trust, you know, trust the journey and keep the faith and and all will work out how it's supposed to. Um, I, I firmly believe that. That's perfect. Beautiful. Yes. Trust the journey and chase your purpose, right? <laughs> exactly. You got to chase your purpose. You know, there's a lot of people ask themselves all the time and they do it on a daily basis. I feel like I know I do, or at least was, and that is, you know, am I happy? And Am I, am I living my life's purpose? And if, if you can wake up and answer those things with yes, then you are successful. So definitely always be trying to chase your purpose. You'll, it, it won't lead you astray. Perfect. Well, Chase, it was an absolute honor having you on the show. It was lovely chatting with you. You're so inspiring, and I'm so honored we got this opportunity to talk. And before you go, please share with the listeners where they can find you online and listen to your music. So if you go to, as far as websites go, um, we, you can go to chasemitchell.com or you can go to chasemusic.com. Um, music is spelled though M-U-S-I-K, so chasemusik.com. All the socials are at chasemusic, same thing, at chasemusik. 
fabulous. Thank you so much again, Chase, for joining me. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this incredible episode with Chase Mitchell. And of course, until next time, stay Stay right right on on track. track. Thank you.